Right, let's open God's Word to Galatians. So it's sort of halfway through the New Testament, towards the back of the Bible. Um, if you hit Ephesians, you've gone too far. Um, and we're in Galatians chapter 5. We're doing a series on, called Life in the Spirit. Um, and we've taken a wide range of biblical um, texts to look at that subject. But I wonder, just thinking of the themes of, of what we're going to be preaching about today, about walking in the Spirit, I wonder if you've ever wanted to do something but you've never been able to follow through on it. So you've sort of had that heart desire, that, 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 those thoughts like, I'm going to do this, but then for whatever reason, you've not been able to follow up on it. So maybe that resolution to go to the gym three, four times a week. You're just like, I, I need to do this. I need to get in shape. I've got cholesterol issues. I need to sort this out. I've, I'm going to go to the gym. You know, and it starts well. Starts well, but I wonder, you know, how long it lasted. I wonder how long you've been paying for your gym membership without going. I've got friends and family like that. It's just, just not cancelling it, but not going. I wonder if that's you. Maybe you've made a resolution, maybe even Lent or uh, in January. Um, no more chocolate. No more cake. No more sweets. That's quite a big one, just to give up sugar. Is that you? The biscuits here, ours is in the same cupboard as where we uh, have the tea stuff. And so every time I open it to make a cup of tea, it's just the biscuits here. It's just shouting loudly, like, have me. I'm, I'm available. I'm ready for all your needs. Maybe you've thought this year, this is going to be the year that I'm going to read through the whole Bible. Beginning to end. Like, I just want to know more of Jesus. want to know more of his word. Just that really good, good heart. Just want to know more. And you get through Genesis, Exodus, wonderful, incredible narrative. Get to Deuteronomy, Numbers, it starts to churn a bit. And you're sort of like, this is hard work. And you sort of just, just fall. I mean, I've, I've been there. But Christian or not, we all struggle with this idea, this, this reality, really, of wanting to do something on one hand, but not being able to do it on the other hand. We have right uh, desires in our heart and our, our minds to do something, but our who, something inside of us just is not able to follow through with it. And our passage speaks directly into this, this reality of us as, as humans and how we, we struggle with this dynamic. So Galatians chapter 5, we're going to pick it up from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. It says, So I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Father, we do come before you today and we so desire as brothers and sisters to follow you, to find our life, our identity, who we are in you. Jesus, and I pray that as we hear your word uh, proclaimed, Jesus, that we would have our hearts convicted, would be open to you speaking to us today, and that we'd find true life in you. Amen. So, in this passage, we've got this dynamic of the flesh and the spirit. Flesh on one side and the spirit on the other side, and they are in absolute conflict with one another. They are at odds with one another. They are pulling in two different directions. They cannot be united. It's like the Montagues and Capulets in Romeo and Juliet. Two warring parties absolutely at odds with one another. The flesh desires one thing. The spirit desires another thing. It's a tug of war pulling in completely opposite directions the flesh, and the spirit. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that the flesh is the affections and the desires that go against God. The the desires and the affections in our hearts that, that are against what God has for us, what he desires for us. I know for me that is so true of my experience, that I have desires and affections that are not of God, that are not for the good of, of God or myself or other people. And I think that's true of our experience as humanity and of, of us in this room today. But the reality is that it didn't start out this way. We see in the early chapters of Genesis how God created the world to be, how he created humans to love God and to love one another. And God created it absolutely perfectly. Adam and Eve absolutely perfectly walked with God in the garden, perfectly loved one another. They were made in his image. They were without sin. They perfectly reflected the beauty of God. That's how God designed it to be. It wasn't long before Adam and Eve, they They turned their eyes away from God and wanted to go their own way. They sinned. They missed the mark. They put their trust in something other than God for their their hope, for for truth, and for, for peace, and for satisfaction. And at that point, something monumental happened. Their nature was corrupted. It wasn't just something that they were like, they did something wrong, and then they could carry on as they were. Like, let's just, let's just crack on with life. You know, okay, God, we're sorry about that, but let's just carry on with our perfect lives um, as we were. No, their very nature corrupted. And just as we inherit the physical features of our parents, we also inherit the sinful nature of our parents. In Genesis chapter 5, it says of Adam that he had lived 130 years. He had a son in his own likeness in his own image so it wasn't 
in God's image anymore that people were created. It was in his own image, in Adam's image. It's this sinful, corrupt nature. David's the uh, psalmist, puts it this way. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This is speaking of just coming forth with a corrupt nature, you know? And we don't have to, uh, you know, none of us were taught to, to sin. We, we came into a sinful world, but we had desires as kids and um, to, to, to turn away from authority and to turn away from things that are good for us. A summary definition would put the flesh like this, that the flesh opposes God. It seeks sinful gratification. The flesh is a built-in law of failure, making it impossible for natural man to please or serve God. It's a compulsive inner force inherited from man's fall which expresses itself in general and specific rebellion against God. The flesh can never, if we ever think like, uh, right, I can overcome this. No, the flesh can never be reformed or improved. The only hope for escape from the law of the flesh is its total execution and replacement by a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our hope from the flesh. And there is hope. Paul goes on in, in Galatians uh, after the first few verses uh, that I read out. Um, verse 20, uh, where is it? Yeah, verse 19. Talking about the acts of the flesh, that there are certain, like if you're going to live out of the flesh, there are certain fruits, if you will, or certain acts that define, like that person is living out of their flesh. And uh, he, he gives us a, a list, no, by no means a complete um, list, but he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. What a list. I was reading this week, um, the Children's Commissioner um, released a study um, of the effects of pornography um, on children and young people at the moment, just a right-up-to-date study of pornography at the moment. Um, and that said that 50% of boys and girls aged 16 to 21 seek out online pornography regularly. 50%. That this is just a norm for our young people. It starts much younger than that. This, the study is very clear on that. It starts much younger than that. Um, even it said 36% of young um, adults had sought out content involving at least one act of sexual violence. This is the world we live in. We can shut our eyes to it. We can maybe be in a Christian bubble. We can think, oh, surely things are better than that. No, things are not great. This is what it looks like to live from the flesh. But before we think, oh, you know, I'm okay. I grew up in a Christian home. Things, things were all right, not too bad. The reality is that without Jesus, we would all be giving ourselves to these things. When I, in that list, and there's it's quite a long list, 
There are only two things that I haven't been involved in, witchcraft and orgies. Okay, just in case you were wondering. Didn't want you like sitting there for five minutes guessing, I wonder which two it is. Um, but I say that, I've gr- I grew up, at, my parents took me to church, grew up in a Christian family, um, they loved me, grew up in a very secure and attached home. And yet, like, I'm, I'm far from perfect. Like, I don't meet the mark there. Without Jesus, we seek these things for identity, for pleasure, for satisfaction, and for meaning. And that's what our world is doing. That's what we can be tempted to do. Our world is trying to make sense of sex and gender, and it's all about identity. It's about who are we? And we go to certain things, so we try and change things about ourselves or change things about other people or change ideologies in our culture to try and make sense of where can I find my identity and my meaning. And we look to the flesh and we go to these things. When we take our eyes off Jesus, the flesh shouts, give yourself to these things. And the flesh shouts so loudly. It was the temptation of Adam and Eve. It's the, it was the temptation of Jesus as Jesus was tempted to uh, rely upon himself or, or why don't you rely on your relationship with God? Or, you know, you don't need to be struggling here. I can, I can give you so, so much. So when we're under pressure or we're feeling low, the reality is that we're not drawn at those times of being under pressure maybe in the home, maybe relationships, maybe in the workplace, when we're under pressure, when we're stressed, we're not drawn in that moment to love, <laughs> to, to kindness, to patience. We're, we're drawn to the flesh. We're drawn to impatience. We're drawn in of ourselves to protect ourselves. We might lash out. We might be defensive. This is what it looks like to live out of the flesh. Right, we're going to get to some good news in a minute, but Paul has a warning for us, and I think it would be good for us just to, to look at that. So in verse 21, uh, just towards the uh, second half of that, Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So God does warn us. And it's important for us, especially within our culture, to recognize that warnings are good things. Okay, our culture would say, like, how dare you tell me how to live? Or how dare you tell me that living in this way is going to lead to this consequence? How dare you say that? You have no right. Don't tell me how to live. And we can let that seep into our hearts as, as Christians, as followers of Christ. And it's important that we hold on to the fact that warnings are good things. In our home, it's a good job that me and Jude <laughs> warn our kids that certain behaviors are going to lead to certain consequences. I was just made a note of some of the warnings that we gave um, to our kids this week. Uh, one, <laughs> one was uh, to one of our kids, I won't name them, um, was one of the warnings was don't eat poo you'll get sick. Okay? That was just a warning. If you're going to eat poo, you're going to get sick. 
Okay, warning, that's a good thing. Hopefully, she's, she, now you know it's a girl, um, they, they'd get sick. Okay, don't lick the toilet. It's dirty. Don't run into the road. You might get hit by the car. Don't be unkind to your friends. They might not want to play with you. These warnings are good. It's, it's training, it's correction, it's teaching. And God warns us throughout the Bible that if you live in a certain way, essentially apart from God, then it's not going to go well with you. 1 Corinthians 15 says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Romans 8 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Romans 6 says, what benefit did you reap at, the time, at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. So investing in flesh and blood doesn't lead to God. We're all in the same boat. All, we're all born with a corrupt nature. So if flesh isn't the answer, if giving ourselves to the flesh, to, to this, this list of things, if that's not the answer, what do we need to do to inherit eternal life? What do we need to ensure that we, uh, we stay in I, I, inheriting eternal life and not eternal death? Well, there was a guy called Nicodemus. He was around at the time that Jesus walked the earth, and he was inquiring of the same things. He was asking the same sorts of questions. He wanted to know from Jesus, like he wanted to know more. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was used to keeping the law, keeping the rules. That was how he felt that he would uh, carry favor with God. But he saw something different in Jesus, and he said, look, what, what is it? What do I need uh, to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said this to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that there must be a death to the flesh, there must be a new birth and a living in the life of the Spirit. And that there's a, there's a transition that happens here. There's a point in time, uh, well, there's a period of time where you're living in the flesh, and we've all been there, there's a new birth, that's a single point in time, a reality that happens, and then there's a living and a walking in the Spirit. This new birth is all his work. Okay, if we think, oh, I just don't want to live in the flesh, I want to walk in the Spirit, we can think, well, I've got to try harder, or I've got to do better, I've got to make more resolutions, I've got to bring my flesh under control so that I'll be acceptable to God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God has done it, that God gives us new hearts. It says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So rest assured, he has done it. He's the one. If you're a follower of Jesus, brother and sister in the room, he has done it. He's the one that has given you a new heart with new affections and new desires. 
And you'll see this for a new baby in Christ. They'll have new affections for Jesus that they didn't have before. And they'll start to think, actually, I want to do certain things that I didn't want to do before. And I want to stop doing things that I thought was a good idea before I knew Christ. These are the new affections that, uh, that come out of a new heart that Christ gives us. This is all made possible through Jesus Christ on the cross, through his death and resurrection, that Jesus became a human being and he became sin. So that means that he took all of our sexual immorality upon the cross. He took this. He became sin. He took our sexual immorality. He took our impurity. He took your debauchery. He took your idolatry, your witchcraft, your hatred, your discord, your jealousy, your fits of rage, your selfish ambition, your dissensions, your factions, your envy, your drunkenness, your orgies, and anything else that you've given yourself to. Jesus, on the cross, willingly became sin for us. And in that moment on the cross, because he became sin, he, he took the wages of sin, which is death. So he took the punishment that we deserved. He took our place. What a great savior. What a great friend. Someone who would lay down their life for us. And he did all that so that we could have a new birth in him. So that we could have a new heart. So that we could be made new in Christ. Galatians 2 says that I, we, have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the new life of living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit is made possible because we are in Christ. We don't do it from a position of being in the flesh or being in Adam. We do it from a place of being in the Spirit and in Christ. Everything that is true of Christ is now true of us. We died with Christ. We rose again with Christ. and We're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ now, and we live from that place. So Paul then goes on to say, well, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I just want us to look at a couple of practical things that will help us as we look to walk in the Spirit. So the first thing is that we're to put the flesh to death. That's the first step. Put the flesh to death. You might think of it like um, often we accommodate sin in our lives. We just make excuses and accommodations for sin in our life. And I think of it like a squatter. If you think of your house and a squatter basically moves into your house, takes over one of the rooms and decides to live um, in your house, they're not contributing at all to, uh, to the, the, the family, uh, they're eating your food, they're drinking your drink, they're using your heating, your electricity, they're being rude to other members of the family or people in the house. Um, you don't really want them there, but you've not, got, you've not got it in you to drive them out or to get rid of them. And so you make accommodations for them. You say, oh, well, 
they're not that bad, or they, you know, maybe they'll go when they're ready and we can put up with this. You make accommodations for it. And it's the same we do that with sin. We might say, oh, well, it's my upbringing. It's not my fault. What about this or this? Or oh, I'm tired. Or I deserve this. We make accommodations for it. Essentially, we let sin live rent-free in our hearts and our minds. That's where the battle is, in our minds and hearts. And we let him, we essentially let sin, we let Satan live rent-free in there. Romans 8 says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So this is what it looks like to live in Christ, to put to death the flesh. It looks like refusing to give it space in your mind, in your actions, and your heart. Saying no to ungodliness. And it's really, it's not easy, but it is as simple as that. Saying no to ungodliness. Cravings, when you try to give something up, cravings are always the strongest at the start. It's like the craving, like, I just really want this, okay? And if you give up then, then you're just going to be back in the cycle, and it's just a cycle, okay? But those cravings gradually just ease off, you know? They ease off. It does become easier and easier to say no to ungodliness. I wonder what you need to say no to. What cycles are you in at the moment? You just need to say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give space in my mind to churn this over. I used to do this and still get tempted to do it, but just with anxiety, just anxious thoughts. And I'd just give like, a ridiculous percentage of my day just to churning thoughts over. And it got to the point where I was like, no. <laughs> like, I'm not going to entertain these what-ifs. just going to, you know... They'll come, but I'm like, well, I'm not going to take the next step. I'm not going to try and come up with an answer to that what if. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's got easier and easier. The battle becomes less and less fierce. I wonder what you need to say no to. We do that from a place of being more than conquerors through Christ. Okay, that is who we are. We might not feel like conquerors, especially if we're in that cycle of sin, but who we are, we're conquerors in him because of what he did on the cross, because he was victorious. And as we put the flesh to death, what we then need to do, secondly, is give the spirit a louder voice in our lives. Give him more room to speak to us. Because as we say no to the flesh, actually what happens is that the, the soil, if you will, of our life, becomes more and more fertile for the fruit of the Spirit. As you say no to the flesh, the weeds, they die. They start to die. The soil becomes more rich with good nutrients. It starts to become like a, a beautiful place, really, where the fruit of the Spirit can grow, whereas it couldn't before because the flesh, the weeds, the, uh, the soil wasn't good. It just wasn't a place for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. But as we say no to those things, actually it provides a, a space really for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. And Paul lists those off, the fruit of the Spirit, their love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to have a chance in, in a few moments just to, um, together to, to take time to, to repent. You know, just, to, just this sense of um, actually God may be putting his finger on some things, you know, in our lives. But we need to say no to ungodliness. And it's just, it's good to be open to the conviction of God. That's a good thing. Those warnings, they come with a promise. Life in Christ. That's what we want. As followers of Jesus, we want life in Christ. And repentance is a key part of that. Repentance is turning from the flesh and turning towards Jesus. The one who will welcome us with open arms. We think of the prodigal son and the father. The father ran out totally undignified towards his son and embraced him at great cost to himself, not just in uh, the community that he would have been a part of, but great financial cost of everything that his son um, had lost and the cost of them putting on the party to celebrate that my son is now back. Beautiful, and that is how God welcomes us back in. And it might be time and time again. I want to encourage us to be a repentant people. I know that for years as I struggled, especially with sexual immorality, that I would be so slow to come back to the grace of God. I'd beat myself up. I'd just be churning stuff over. I'm not worthy. I've done it again. i just, you know... And the, the point or the season where I realized that actually I can come straight back to God was actually the season that I found the most growth in overcoming the flesh because I was just living a repentant life. I wasn't giving the flesh even more room to dwell in my life. This repentance is a beautiful gift that God gives us and he welcomes us as we repent, as we turn back to him. Um, Steve gave this really helpful uh, illustration last week where um, if you've got two people in a house and one shouts through to the other and the, the, the other person, they can't hear them. And sometimes you think, just shout a bit louder and then I'll be able to hear you, but that's not always the answer. And with God, that's rarely the answer. Actually, the answer is come close. Come closer. And that invitation is there for us to come closer Draw near to me. Make room for the Spirit in your life. Fill your life with the Spirit. Read God's Word. Pray. Fill yourself with Christians who will encourage you, spur you on, challenge you, correct you. Fill your life with the Spirit and what the Spirit wants to do. Repentance along the way, but fill your life with the Spirit. Okay, Karis and Johnny, if you guys could come up. If we could stand, please. Um, you might have, been, might have heard, um, been in the news, uh, sort of Christian news, um, as it were, 
uh, recently. So there's been a revival, like an awakening in a place called Aysbury in Kentucky. Um, and it's just been wonderful to read some of the uh, reports of what God's been doing there and how it's been spreading out. But one of the defining uh, factors of, of uh, this awakening has been, has been holiness and repentance. It's been uh, God convicting people of sin and people turning to Christ, weeping over their sin, experiencing the goodness and the forgiveness and the reconciliation of God. And so I want us to make time for, for that now, for us to have an opportunity to come to the Father who will welcome us in. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I want to encourage that as well. Maybe we'll sing a song and just maybe take time to, to engage with God. Maybe God's been speaking to you about something particular as I've been uh, preaching. Bring that to God in repentance. Then maybe share it with a friend or someone that you trust. Ask them to pray for you. That's a good thing to do as well. well there'll be a few of us over here, maybe life group leaders or um, key people could um, just come over and sit, be available to pray. If you want someone to stand with you, maybe you just want to share something, maybe even just get that out for the first time, then do that. And on the flip side, maybe there's a, a particular fruit of the Spirit that you want to grow in or that you're struggling to grow in and you just really want to to grow in that. Take the opportunity to pray and ask God for help there, for strength. Maybe share that with someone and pray with someone as well. But let's not miss this opportunity um, to come before God. Okay? And I think it's a sense of, um, it might just be another part in the journey. You might have done this before. Just, yeah, I have repented, but I've just fallen back in. Come again. Come again. God wants to bring healing. He wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring hope and faith to us. He wants to draw us closer together as a community as we confess our sins to one another. That's God's heart. And Jesus, we, we just say we, we love you. We love you so much. God, I'm so sorry for the ways that I have, even today, this, this week, put my hope and trust in other things, where I've looked to other things for, for satisfaction, for my identity, for a sense of hope, or to, to dull the, the anxiety or the hopelessness. Lord, I'm sorry for where I've gone to other things. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me and you died for us, that we might be welcomed in. We thank you that we are received by grace into the throne room of grace. It's, it's love, it's acceptance because of Christ. <laughs> Such good news, Lord Jesus, that you don't look at us and our perfect record. You look at Jesus and his perfect record. And we're welcomed in. We're not, uh, we're, we're not just outsiders. We are welcomed in, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, embrace your grace today. That we would take a, a, just wholeheartedly embrace you as our Father. The one who loves and accepts us. And I do pray, please, that you would... 
draw us closer to you. That if there's sin in our lives, please convict us. Draw it to mind now. Bring a healthy conviction that draws us to you. Bring a conviction that enables us to say no to ungodliness. Help us to live out of a place of grace that enables us to, to walk in that. To walk in the spirit, we pray. Amen. Right, well, I'll leave us in God's hands <laughs> for him to, yeah, really good hands for him to do what he wants to do. Be open to him. Don't be afraid. Um, we're going to run over a bit, but that's okay. Take time. Let him speak. And there's some people over there to pray.